0: Grab them, you don't have, you know, a half an hour to sit down with a notepad, but start formulating some thoughts about what is the kingdom of God. And as I did that, I thought about us, that we are the kingdom of God. I thought about a king and his kingdom, the, the land, the nation, the, or nations that he rules over, and the people within that. And I don't think that's totally inaccurate. But later, when I did go to some study helps, I came across something that I want to read to you. It's by John Piper. Most of you are familiar with him. If you're not, he was the long-term pastor at Bethlehem Baptist Church up in Minneapolis. He has since retired from that. However, he has not retired from ministry. And somebody asked him this question concerning this passage. And this is something that he wrote. I'm going to Put it on the screen and you can follow along. I think the most important thing I could say about the kingdom of God that would help people make sense out of all the uses is that the basic meaning of the word kingdom in the Bible is God's reign. R-E-I-G-N. Not realm or people. The kingdom creates a realm. The kingdom creates a people, but the kingdom of God is not synonymous with its realm or its people. For example, consider Psalm one hundred three nineteen: The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. You can hear the basic meaning of the word kingdom as rule. It doesn't mean that his kingdom rules over his realm. It means that God's reign or rule governs all things. We're going to come back to that. John Piper went on to say, He, God, sits as king on his throne of the universe, and his kingly rule, his kingdom and his reign governs all things. The basic meaning of the word kingdom in the Bible is God's kingly rule, his reign, his action, his lordship, his sovereign governance, John Piper. So we've established, according to John Piper, that the kingdom of God is not simply his people, his followers. It's not simply the kingdom as far as what he rolls over, but it is the fact that he does rule. God is sovereign. God is in control. God is Lord. So then I ask the question, what is the kingdom of God like? What is the kingdom of God like? What is God's reign, R-E-I-G-N, like? Well, I just pulled some thoughts, not necessarily from this passage, but just from my knowledge of the Lord, of the Scriptures. Um, Nothing new here, but great reminders, things to bring to our attention. And this list is probably, um, could go on forever. We're just going to focus on three things. The kingdom of God is first, powerful. Nothing can overcome God's reign. Luke 11, verse 20, Jesus um, um, pointed out to those that were accusing him, if I drive out demons by the finger, by the hand of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus even had control over the demonic forces that were there. Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 through 18, but what about you? Let me back up to say that Jesus had just asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And the disciples had thrown out, some say you're Jeremiah or Elisha or one of the prophets. And then Jesus said to his disciples, but who do you say that I am? And Peter jumped up and he said, um, you are the Messiah, the Son of of the living God, Jesus replied, "Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it." Now, I don't want to get into debate on this. I'm just going to throw it out there. You can ponder it. You can take it and and think about it and. Uh, wrestle with it in your own spirit. Jesus is not saying that Peter is the rock. Peter was a big part of helping to establish the church. Jesus is is proclaiming that he is the rock and upon himself he would build his kingdom. But that's not my point here. My point is Jesus says I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Nothing will will overcome it. God's reign is powerful. Secondly, God's reign is eternal. God's reign will never end. And we see that in the first, or before Christ was even born, while he was, the angel appeared to Mary in Luke chapter 1, verses 31 through 33, and said, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants. What's the next word? Anybody know? Forever. For all of time and beyond. His kingdom will never end. So God's reign is powerful, God's reign is eternal. And God's reign is overwhelming. God's reign is all-encompassing, and it's not dependent upon how we feel about it. It really doesn't matter if you believe that God is God. He is God. It doesn't matter if you yield and submit your life to His control. He is God. He doesn't, it doesn't matter if you believe there is a life after this life. There is, and our scriptures proclaim it. God's reign is not dependent upon our acceptance of it. Philippians 2, one of my favorite passages in scripture. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, And coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth, And of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. For his followers, this will be a glorious day. For those that have rejected him, this will be a day of horror, a terrifying day. So I've laid some groundwork about the kingdom of God. Now let's come back to this passage in Luke chapter 13. And let's try to to dive into what Jesus was trying to tell his disciples about his kingdom, about God's reign, R-E-I-G-N. What shall I compare the kingdom of God, God's reign, to? Jesus chose two things. He chose a mustard seed, and he chose um, yeast. So let's first look at the mustard seed, as you can see up there, a mustard seed is tiny. You see it in the on the upper right-hand corner, my left, your right. There's a mustard seed. It's tiny. It's insignificant. It seems as if it's nothing. But when you plant it, it grows into a tree. And what does it provide? Say it. Nobody knows. A mustard seed provides well, you're wrong. It's not mustard. <laughs> a mustard seed does not provide mustard. Um, a mustard, well, it, a different kind would. A mustard seed that grows into a tree doesn't give us the condiment that we put on our hot dogs and hamburgers. A mustard seed that grows into a bush or a shrub, that's where we get our mustard and our hamburgers from, or our mustard for our hamburgers. <laughs> burger comes from cow yeah I got it okay Um, so we go back to the mustard tree and Jesus says "Well, a a few facts about a mustard tree first of all if you are are a scientist you may recognize it's salvadora persica right all you scientists you know that right yes I looked that up Um, it grows to be roughly 25 to 30 feet it grows in the Middle East in Africa and Listen to this. Though it thrives in a moist area, it can survive on 8 inches of rainfall a year. Um, It doesn't doesn't need a lot of assistance. It survives on fewer than 8 inches of rainfall a year. There's something interesting about the mustard seed. It is also called the toothbrush tree. Now, I don't think they actually make toothbrushes out of it. But when you're desperate and you're in the middle of Africa and you see a mustard tree, um, you can strip its bark and you can chew it. And it will freshen your breath and clean your teeth if you want to try it. I'm probably going to take my Crest toothpaste, but you can try that if you choose. Um, so it, it cleans your teeth. It, be, it can be used for that purpose. My wife asked me last night, so what else is a mustard tree good for? Except for what Jesus tells us here, I don't really know. Um, if you know, you can shoot me an email or talk to me after the service. But Jesus compares his kingdom to a mustard tree. Um, sorry, can I go backwards with this thing? Or can you? There we go. Let's get our toothbrush and our happy smile back up there. God's kingdom is like a mustard tree. God makes one thing clear all throughout Scripture. And that's that His kingdom is. And remember, His kingdom is His rule. God's kingdom is. God does reign. The mustard seed starts small, seems insignificant, but it does have a purpose. You drop that seed into the proper soil you'd care for it properly and the kingdom will grow God's reign will expand and that's leading us into our role in this kingdom of God in this rule of God we are here to help the kingdom God's rule expand but not everyone is submissive to God's reign, right? I mean, it's everywhere. If you watch the news, you've seen that not everyone submits to God's kingdom, God's reign. Walk the halls of any high school or university. God's kingdom, God's reign is not prevalent. Listen to the chatter at work. Think about the TV shows that entertain us. Friday night Uber rides. Some of you know I do Uber. My goodness, you want to have your eyes open to what's in the world. Drive Uber one night. I don't recommend it for everybody. I don't recommend it for ladies. Okay, just, that's my opinion. But Uber, it's an interesting experience. I've had great conversations. I've had men and women that have so succumbed to alcohol that they can't hold a conversation. They can't even tell me how to get to their house. God's reign is not prevalent in everyone's life. It exists. He is God. What he says in this book is true. And it will prove itself to be true in every circumstance. But our culture is not submitting to God. Just as the mustard seed takes time to grow into a tree it will take time for God's kingdom his reign to expand through the earth and I'm going to come back to this in a minute but God has chosen you and me as his vessels to help expand his kingdom what an awesome thought what an incredible thought that God will use you whether you're 13 33 or old like me kind of rhyme, didn't it? Um, God will use us to expand his kingdom reign. Luke uh, chapter 13, moving on, Jesus then said, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? Again, he asked the same question. And remember, the kingdom of God is God's reign. He said it is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour, 60 pounds of flour, until it worked all through the dough. Now, I'm, you know, I can bake an apple pie. I actually like to bake apple pies, and then I really like to eat what I baked. But um, if I had to prepare the dough, I've done it, but boy, I'd, it's a lot easier to go to the store and buy that frozen roll that you just roll out, put it in the the pie dish, fill it up, and then cover it with the other roll that you bought at the store and brought home. Um, I love freshly baked bread. I will say I've never baked a loaf of bread. Men, please tell me I'm not alone on this. Any other guys will admit that you've never done it? Great. Um, um, But if you don't add yeast... I had to ask my wife, okay? So, ladies, you can help us out here. If you don't add yeast to the dough, what's going to happen when you try to bake that bread? Flat bread. I heard that, Jim. Um, it won't rise. I think I heard that. Any other thoughts? Does yeast affect flavor? I don't know. I'm really asking. This is Educate Kelly 101. Um, so, but if you don't put the yeast in the dough, it doesn't, the The intended purpose doesn't come about, right? Unless you wanted flatbread. Um, but the bread stays, doesn't rise. Does the bread rise immediately? No, I know when my wife has made homemade bread, she'll often do it the night before. And the, it rises. It's just amazing. It rises. It fills with tiny bubbles of carbon dioxide how many knew that oh come on I thought I was really learning new things I just don't cook Um, so it fills with tiny bubbles of carbon dioxide and that's what makes it rise and then you put it in the oven and it rises some more and then you enjoy this bread that you baked because you did it right so Jesus says The kingdom of God, God's reign, is like yeast. Now he also says something about the woman. She takes 60 pounds of flour. That's a lot of flour. And she mixes it. I'm assuming there's some water involved here somewhere. She mixes it with water, and then she puts the yeast in. And she doesn't just sprinkle the yeast on, right? You've got to mix it in. You've got to get it throughout all of the dough, is what the scriptures say. She didn't just dump it in and say, good enough. She took some time and kneaded it into the dough so that it spread all throughout, so that the dough raised appropriately, and it baked to tasty goodness. And then they enjoyed the bread. The kingdom of God is like that. God's reign it doesn't just happen in our world. It exists. I want, to get, I want you to get the difference. God is sovereign. God is in control. But not all, and not even all believers, have submitted themselves to God's control, to God's reign. It's here. It's available. So how do we accomplish that? How do we accomplish for ourselves To yield our lives to God's reign, God's sovereignty. How do we help our world take a step closer to God's reign, to God's sovereignty? We do this by spending time with our God. You got to start there. If you just kind of live your life and don't acknowledge God in your day-to-day, you're missing the point. God didn't die. God didn't send his son Jesus to die on the cross so that we could have a happy little club on Sunday morning. He sent Jesus to die on the cross so that he could radically change and influence your life. And I'm not just saying you don't get drunk on weekend and need an Uber ride. I'm not saying that it just means you're pretty good at work and you don't curse and you don't do this or that. God wants to radically come in and take over your life bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ Is what the Apostle says every thought that's what God wants in your life please don't say you're a Christian if all you do is show up here for an hour or two on Sunday morning and then live your life that's not The Christianity Jesus offers. Jesus offers a Christianity that impacts you tomorrow morning when you're getting out of bed and you're tired. Well, not tomorrow because it's Memorial Day. But Tuesday morning, when it's time to go back to school and you're tired because you probably stayed up too late on Memorial Day night and you don't want to go to school and you don't want to go to work and you're grouchy, God is God in that moment. God is God when life is inconvenient God reigns when the bills aren't paid God reigns when a loved one dies God reigns in every circumstance of our life and the follower of Jesus Christ yields to his reign the follower of Jesus Christ submits their desires their wishes their hopes to the reign the sovereignty of our God. And I believe that's what Jesus is saying with the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast. Sorry, some of you know I have a hurt foot and sometimes I I lose my balance. So if I fall over, just help me up. Um, The parable of the mustard seed, the parable of the yeast, is that the kingdom of God is upon us and God is inviting us into this to help his reign expand in our world and I know that sometimes we may get confused about what that means we may think we understand it that we need to expand the kingdom in the world we need to support those missionaries and John Downer as the the chair of our missions committee is doing a great job bringing missionaries from across the world to us we need to be a part of that but that's not it. Yes, we need to expand the truth to the Middle East. And we have Emily helping us do that. And we help her to be there. We need to expand the kingdom of God, God's rule in Cuba. And my daughter is one of our missionaries that we support. And she is helping us accomplish that. We need to expand the kingdom of God all over the world. But my friend... We need to expand the kingdom of God in Rochester. We need to expand the kingdom of God in our homes. What if when we have moments, we all have them in our home, we just paused and thought, is this kingdom rule? Is this the kingdom of God that he intended in our home?" The kingdom of God is meant to control, to be a part, to radically um, order every part of our life, whether it's your home, your relationship with your mate, your children, children with your parents, with your siblings. If there are broken relationships, and I know there's a degree to which we can't control every aspect of what another person thinks or feels. But we can control, by the grace of God, how we react to those individuals. If there are broken relationships in your life, that is not God's kingdom. God wants differently than that. I know there's a lot that goes into that. I don't say that flippantly. I have some of those in my life. And it's hard work. And it takes time. But God is about His kingdom. His kingdom rules. And just as the woman took the 60 pounds of flour and the yeast and kneaded it all through the dough, that's what God is asking of you. That's what God is asking of me. That we take the kingdom reign and knead it through every part of our life. And then that we take it to our workplace. We take it to our schools. We take that to our community to our neighbors. And we allow God's reign to be exposed to those that we have in our lives. What happens when the yeast is not added? It doesn't accomplish what it needs to accomplish. The bread is flat. It's heavy. And that's what happens when we don't allow God's reign to come through our lives. We get flat. We get heavy. We just have no purpose. We are not fulfilling our purpose. Why are we here? That's another question that, as I processed through this, came to me. Why are we here? Come back to our passage in a minute. But I want to look at, well, I've told you this before. It's been a while. When I was a youth pastor in Michigan, I asked um, that question and then I answered that question. The scripture says, it teaches all throughout scripture that our purpose is to glorify God. And I just, I had this 7th grade boy who was a 7th grade boy, okay? Most of us get that. (laughs) And he raised his hand and he said one of the most... One of the things filled with the most wisdom I've heard, and I hold on to it 30 years later. He said to glorify God means to make God look good. Maybe you don't remember anything else I say, but if you can put that in your brain and hold on to that through your life, to glorify God, it sounds so ethereal, it sounds so spiritual, but what does it mean? Make God look good from the mind of chad nielsen to you make god look good as you live your life make god look good as you get ready to be frustrated with your mate make god look good as you get ready to express discontent with your circumstances make god look good glorify god and we see this in matthew um, In a few scriptures, the first one I'm going to read is Matthew chapter 22. Again, a passage of scripture that, as I've meditated on it, has really impacted my life. Jesus is in a confrontation with some of the religious leaders, and they're trying to trip him up, and they ask him, what is the greatest commandment? Why are we really here? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. You know, he could have just said, love God. But he described it. He defined it. Love God with every part of your being. Love God in every circumstance of life. All your heart, all your mind, and with all your soul. And then he, com- he completed it by adding the second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Who is your neighbor? We could go on and on, asking questions. Our neighbor, in my opinion, I believe our neighbor, our, our neighbors are those that we rub shoulders with in life. It may be your your mate. Obviously, you're rubbing shoulders with your mate. It's your children. It's the co-workers you work with. It's your boss. It's your parents. It's your friends. It's your next door neighbor especially with the weather changing, we'll start seeing them again, right? Um, but I think your neighbor to, a, to a, maybe a different level is the gas station attendant. Most, I think most people, use the same few gas stations because that's our life pattern. We live in Country Club Manor. Most of the time I get gas at the quick trip right there off of Highway 14 and West Circle Drive. And some of them I know by name but all of them I recognize when I go in there I don't have a relationship with them we're not going out for dinner or coffee but I see them regularly they're my neighbor I have a level of responsibility to love that individual first Corinthians 10 31 when I was in high school playing basketball we put this verse all across the gym wall in our high school and it reminded us that it was more about It wasn't just about playing basketball. We forgot it a lot. We were high school boys. And we wanted to win, and we were pretty good, and we won a lot. But that verse on the wall said, 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Make God look good. If God is going to be seen in our world, if God's reign is to be acknowledged in our world, Our world needs to see God's reign making a difference in our lives. God's sovereignty, our rest in Jesus, our belief that he's got every circumstance of life under control needs to be evident in how we live our life. And to do less than that is to mislead our world. We need to show God's reign, God's control by how we live our life. Scripture teaches this. We are called to expose the world around us to God's reign. The mustard seed starts small, insignificant, and it grows into a mighty tree where birds shelter. It fulfills its purpose. The kingdom of God, God's reign, will fulfill its purpose. And God is asking us to be a part of that. The yeast, just a little bit that you powder on your flour, but it makes such a big difference. When you knead it through the dough properly, it accomplishes its purpose. What's your purpose? To glorify God. To exalt the Lord. To let His reign live through us. It's not enough to just show up at church. It's not enough to just be good people. It's not enough to support the orphanage in Haiti or to take a mission trip to Cuba. It's not enough to just give dollars to New Life. It's not enough just to show up to the annual church cleanup all good things, all things Christians do. But Christianity, the kingdom of God, His reign, is to be exposed in everything we do. We need to regularly ask this question of ourselves. Is my life expanding God's kingdom, God's reign? Is my life Yes, we can look at it as a church, and we should. We can look at it as a small group, and we should. We can look at it as a family, and we should. We can look at it as a married couple, and we should. But we must also look at it as an individual. Does my life, is my life expanding God's kingdom? Am I fulfilling my purpose? 2 Corinthians 5:17 through 21 and I'll finish with this verse. Therefore, or this passage. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Are you in Christ? I don't just throw that question out there. Ask yourself, am I in Christ? Paul says examine yourselves to be sure that you're in the kingdom. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. You know what? I, my dad passed away six years ago. This week, I've so many times, I've just wanted to call my dad. But my dad, um, he wasn't a bad guy growing up. He was a pretty good kid. I mean, we're talking the 20s and 30s. And he graduated high school at 18. He married my mom. She was 18. And they were married for 70 years. Is that not amazing? 70 years of marriage. And, but my dad didn't become a Christian until he was 27 years old. And when my dad became a Christian, I don't, I don't, I never asked him this. I don't think he would have considered himself an alcoholic, but he, I do know he would spend time at the bars on the weekend. And my dad smoked, okay? I'm, I am not preaching that alcohol is sin. And I'm not preaching that smoking is sin. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying these were two things in my dad's life that he felt he needed to let go of once he became a believer. So my dad told me, <laughs> he, was in his, he was close to 80, and um, I was raised in a home where you did not drink. Alcohol was bad, um, and I—I I don't. See, the subject of alcohol somehow came up, and my dad said, "You know, I haven't touched alcohol since I was 27." He said, it, "When I became a Christian, alcohol was just no longer necessary for me." And he said, "I haven't touched an alcohol since I was 27, but I can sure taste a whiskey sour right now." <laughs> I like, okay, Dad. But alcohol was one of those things that God just removed from his life. On the other hand, smoking, that he was committed to give up, took him several years. So becoming a Christian doesn't just automatically all the, the, the vices of our life fall aside. Some of them God takes away graciously. Most, maybe most, we need to give attention to and work hard at but we are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All of this is from God, who who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Please get that. For you, for those people you rub elbows with, your neighbors, God doesn't stiff-arm them or you because of your sin. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. God has given us a responsibility, and it's reconciliation. Reconciling men to God. It goes on to say, we are therefore Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Are you following this? God is appealing to this world through us. We are his ambassadors. We implore you on God's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him, Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, we are God's ambassadors. And God has given you a sphere of influence that only you can reach. You must go as God's ambassador and reconcile men to God. Does your life, does my life glorify God? I'm going to pray and ask the worship team to make their way up father thank you for these truths that we can unpack from Scripture and I thank you for the um, men women youth and children that are in this auditorium today and Lord I pray that each of us would be challenged by your word to exalt God as God's kingdom God's reign it is here May we submit ourselves to that. And Lord, I pray that we would be reconciling men to God, that our very life, our very words, our movements, our actions, our decisions, our interactions with people would be about reconciling people to Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.